Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 575 The following program is sponsored Incorporated Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy we're learning about war and peace. Publicly speaking, war may be ugly, but it is within the providence and purposes of God. And sometimes when you get onto the other side of it, it restores beauty and justice and order to life. Look at verse 4 of Romans 13. For he, that's the government, the authorities that God has placed over people, for he is God's minister for the good. It's been said that sometimes the way to peace is war. And while Jesus called us to be peacemakers, he also recognized that the sinfulness of mankind would at times call us to stand against injustice, oppression, and terrorism. That's our subject today on Know the Truth with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Philip DeCourcy. We're continuing the Maximum Security series, and all the messages in this encore presentation are archived online at ktt.org. Now here's Philip with today's message from Romans chapter 13. If you knew this, but in 1917, President Theodore Roosevelt was asked by the New York Bible Society to write a preface to a New Testament they were about to give to every soldier going to the Great War. He did write a preface, and if you could find yourself a copy of the New Testament around that time, you'll find the words of President Roosevelt, words that have been called the Micah Mandate. Because what he told those brave patriots was that Micah 6.8 foreshadows what a soldier should do and how a military man ought to behave. Listen to his words. This is in the preface of that little New Testament published by the New York Bible Society, 1917, the words of Theodore Roosevelt, do justice. He's speaking to our soldiers as they head to the fields of France. Do justice and therefore fight valiantly against those who stand for the reign of Moloch and Beelzebub on this earth. Love mercy. Treat your enemies well. Succor the afflicted. Treat every woman as if she were your sister. Care for the little children and be tender with old and helpless. Walk humbly and you will do so if you study the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Walking in his footsteps. President Roosevelt understood that war, ugly as it always is, can be a good fight, can be a righteous cause, and can render justice across the world. Taking the life of someone for the preservation of someone else can be an appropriate means of delivering justice in this fallen world. Proportionally, 
and properly executed. War that is fueled by righteous indignation and tempered by mercy can have a God-given purpose. You may have grown up in a pacifistic tradition, but I would suggest to you, and I commend your own study of God's Word, but the Bible justifies war. The Bible legitimizes national defense. In fact, the Bible tells us from the wisdom section of the Bible that there is an appropriate time for war. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 tells us there's a time and a season for everything under the sun. And verse 8 tells us there's a time for peace and there's an appropriate time for war. In fact, we'll get to this passage, Romans 13, 1 to 7, and we'll see that the great apostle Paul argues that it is the responsibility of a legitimate government to use civil and military power to defend its people against aggression and oppression. They are not, according to verse 4, to bear the sword in vain. They have authority to use the sword. And you know in that culture we're speaking about that which is able to execute judgment, that which is able to render justice, either civil or military power. Have you ever thought about the fact that God himself describes himself as a man of war? Ecclesiastes 15 and verse 3, do you realize that God often assembled the people of God under the old covenant, the nation of Israel, and sent them to war under his leading? In fact, we read about that in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, where we read about the wars of God. National defense and military honor were taught to succeeding generations of Israelis. We don't have time to turn there, but in Judges chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, one of the reasons that God left some enemies for Israel to fight was to teach the next generation how to fight. In fact, David says in Psalm 144 and verse 1 that God has taught his hands to war. In fact, Hebrews 11, you'll see that the great men of faith were men of war. Verses 32 and 34. So, war is ugly. I want to say that. War is hell. But I do believe in the balance of things and biblically speaking, war may be ugly, but it is within the providence and purposes of God. And sometimes when you get onto the other side of it, it restores beauty and justice and order to life. Ask Europe. Ask Asia. Theodore Roosevelt was right. A soldier can act justly by showing mercy and walking in obedience before God. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen can as much be the servants of God doing the work of God as pastors and missionaries and elders. You say, Pastor, that's a stretch. No, it's not. Look at verse 4 of Romans 13. For he, that's the government, the authorities that God has placed over people, for he is God's minister for the good. We see again in verse 6, there are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. That's the same Greek word that's used for deacon, for servant, for minister. And so we need to bear those things in mind. And so we need to remind ourselves, and we have throughout this series, that as a country, we're at war. We're at war with Islam, jihadism within Islam. They decided that. They declared that against us. They're driven by an Islamic, theocratic, apocalyptic theology where death is greater than life. They are a bitter, brutal enemy. 
And we're going to be a long time fighting them. This is the long war. This is a multi-generational fight. This is, according to King Adullam of Jordan, the Third World War. They have attacked our ships. They have bombed our cities. They have shot our soldiers. They have beheaded our people. They have threatened to kill our presidents. Their war is unjust. Their methods barbaric. Their goals frightening. And it's incumbent upon our president and our Congress to wage a crushing war against them for God-given purposes, for the preserving of life and liberty within this nation and across the free world. And as we think about maximum security, I think one of the avenues you and I can be protected is government and the military. Listen, war is a great tragedy. Robert E. Lee, the great general of the Confederacy, said this, it is well that war is so terrible or else we would grow up to be too fond of it. And as tragic as war is, it's not the greatest tragedy. Oppression is worse. Totalitarianism is worse. Slavery is worse. Gas chambers are worse. The slaughter of the innocent is worse. That's why C.S. Lewis said, if war is ever lawful, then peace is sometimes sinful. We can't have peace at any price. There are some situations in life where war must take place. As long as that war is just and legitimate, it can be done for God-given purposes and within a God-given providence. So let's underline the maximums for maximum security. We're to pray for inner peace. We're to expect suffering. We're to believe in the goodness of God in the face of bad things. We're to keep a prophetic perspective on the Middle East. We're to identify and engage the real enemy, Satan, exercise our right to self-defense. And we're to look to the government to defend us. We are to look to the government to defend us. We have every right to ask of our government that they defend the citizens of this country against all threats domestic and foreign. And certainly for the purposes of this series, Islamic terror is included in that. Now, several things quickly. I'm going to hop, skip, and jump. Number one, I'll just talk briefly about what I call the nexus of human government. The nexus of human government. Government is God's idea, isn't it? Look at verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God himself is the one who has established human governments. Government positions, civil offices are God-ordained. Remember when Jesus was being arrested? Where he said to those who grabbed him, you know what, you wouldn't be able to do this except power be given to you. Therefore, failure, says Paul, to submit, failure to pay taxes, failure to respect that authority is treason against heaven. Because if God has established government, if there are God-given purposes to government, and in the best of circumstances, government indeed is a promoter of good and a retardant to evil, then to resist it is to resist God's authority. It's to work against yourself. Now, we know it. this isn't blind obedience, because the apostle tells us in some cases we'd rather obey God than men. If a government prohibits worship, sanctions murder, requires idolatry, bans evangelism, or deifies man, we can disobey. But in the best of circumstances, governments 
Our government is to be a servant, a deacon, a minister of God to enact justice, punish bad behavior, preserve national security, maintain order, and promote the general good of society. Look at verse 4. In fact, verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. I mean, this is the ideal. For he is God's minister to you for good. For if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's servant, deacon, minister to avenge and exact wrath on him who practices evil. So what's the primary role of government? Fundamentally, it is to retard evil, punish evil, and promote good so that citizens who are law-abiding, respectful, those who love their neighbor, those who do good unto others as they would want another to do good unto them, they are to be allowed to go about their business freely, safely, and productively under government protections. That's the role of the government. And we've got to, as we think about the nexus of human government, put that calling that role and that responsibility alongside others. This is a sermon in itself. I just want you thinking. This is the government's God-given role and responsibility. And it's part of a nexus. It's part of a connection of spheres, realms, and domains that are given specific roles by God and specific responsibilities. There are three arenas of authority. There are three arenas or realms or spheres of government in the world. There's the home of the family, there's the government, and there's the church. And if you read your Bible, you'll see that they're all independent of each other. But they are interdependent upon each other. If the government does its job, that's good for the family, and it's good for the church. If the family does its job, that's good for the government, because children will be raised up to respect authority. Children will be raised up to love their neighbors. Children will be raised up to be productive members of society. So when the family does its job, that blesses the government. When the government does its job, that blesses the family. And the church exists to propagate the gospel throughout the world, which is a blessing to the government and the family. These things are independent. It's not the job of the government to raise our children or interfere with parental rights. The family is not to be an island unto itself, disconnected from society and the respect of authority and the proper involvement within the culture. The same with the church. The church shouldn't be in bed with the government using its power to propagate Christianity, but the government should never censor, limit the movement of the church as it goes about preaching the gospel throughout the world and making disciples. So these things have got to work together for the benefit of each other. I like the story of the sea captain and the chief engineer who were arguing with each other one day whose job was most important in the ship. And so to prove the point, they decided to swap places. And so the engineer came up into the bridge and the captain went down into the engine room. Several hours later, the captain suddenly appears on the deck covered in oil and dirt and he yells, waving a monkey wrench, You've got to get down here. I can't make her go. To which the engineer replies, that's because I run her aground. <laughs> Teamwork. 
The engineers belong down in the engine room, and the captains belong up in the bridge. And the government has a role, and the family has a role, and the church has a role. And if they complement each other rather than compete with each other, society is the better for it. That's the nexus of human government. Let me talk briefly about the necessity of human government. G.K. Chesterton once noted, seemingly from the dawn of man, all nations have had governments and all nations have been ashamed of them. You know the old story, right, of Edward Everett Hale, who was the chaplain to the Senate here in the United States several years ago. He was asked one day, do you pray for the senators? He said, well, I've looked at the Senate and now I pray for the country. Okay, you know, government is a necessity, although not a very popular one at times, But study history, all cultures, all countries have sought to order their societies under civil authorities. Since the fall of man through Adam's disobedience, we've had big government, limited government, we've had despotic government, democratic government, theocratic government, but what we've never had is a society without government. It's a necessity. It's part of the nexus. It's what God has ordered for the good ordering of life. And I think there are two reasons why we must have government. Number one, man's creation. Man's creation. Let me just cut to the chase on this for the sake of time. I believe that there's a God-given universal instinct within man to govern and be governed. At whatever age or stage of human development, man created in the image of God has always expressed dominion, government, rule. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, God calls man to what? To exercise dominion, to govern, to subdue the earth. And man, as he seeks to develop, has sought to build societies that reflect something of God's character and nature. And I think there's a God-given universal instinct and impulse within man to govern and be governed. It's part of that call to dominion. If we're going to subdue the earth, the best way to do it is through order and rank and levels of responsibility. Listen to what Psalm 8 and verse 6 says about man. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put everything under his feet. So I think that's one reason. Number two, man's corruption man's corruption. The necessity of government is not only seen in the fact that man is a governing being, he is a guilty being. Because when you get past Genesis 1 and 2, you get to Genesis 3, and man disobeys God. Things are turned upside down. Judgment falls upon man and the environment. Death enters human experience. And according to 1 John 3, verse 6, sin produces lawlessness. Then you get into Genesis 4, 5, and 6. What do we find? Fratricide, bigamy, violence, and demonic immorality, where every imagination of man's heart is evil. And before long, you get to Genesis 9, and God says, okay, on the other side of the flood, we're going to have to make sure there's no repeat performance, and whoever sheds man's blood, because In the days of Noah, the earth was marked by violence. God said, whoever sheds man's blood, man made in my image, man the pinnacle of creation, his blood will be shed. A reckoning must take place. 
I want to remind those who oppose capital punishment, I might argue for the fact that it is punitive and it is a deterrent, but that's not my main argument. My argument is it's just. It's a reckoning. You take a life. There's only one thing that equates in terms of justice to that, and that's the taking of your life. And God institutes that. And at that point, government becomes more punitive, sadly, because we see in man's creation an instinctual desire to govern and subdue and order himself. But because of sin, he himself must be governed. He was to govern. Now he himself must be governed. And that's what government is there to do. We've read it here in Romans 13. The government has been given with power to execute criminals within the nation and aggressors who seek to invade the nation. The government's been given power to take that life. It's a tragedy that man who was created to govern now needs himself to be governed, and we need to bear that in mind. We need to get a biblical view of government. We need to get a biblical view of society in the light of the fall and a corrupted culture in that government is God-given. Government has God-given purposes, but given the fall, what we have in government is the government of fallen society by fallen man, and that's never going to be good. It's never going to be perfect. Don't you know, ride a donkey or ride an elephant to utopia. You know, put your money on the white horse of revelation. When Jesus comes, he'll fix it. Up until then, we need to speak in the government. We need to hold them accountable. But it's never going to be totally perfect. It can't be because the world has fallen. And you've got a fallen society now governed by fallen men. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Philip calls today's message National Security, and it's part of our special series titled Maximum Security. You'll find every message archived at ktt.org. When you join us here on Know the Truth, you're benefiting from the support of men and women who value this Bible teaching. And today is your chance to join these supporters by giving a year-end donation. And Philip, you're here to explain why December giving is so important. You know, Wayne, our listeners may not know and the friends of our ministry may not know or realize that most of the donations we rely on come in at the end of the year. Uh, You know, if you look at the month of December in businesses all over our nation, uh, they'll be sitting down and looking at where their budget is that they make the goals for 2018. So the, the month of December is a strategic month. It is a month for taking stock in the business world and in life itself. And it's the same at Know the Truth. And we're hoping for a banner month of December. This is a strategic, very important month in terms of our budget. Uh, This has been a strategic year of expansion for us. I'm committed to this ministry. I I love the church I'm in. I commit myself to the pulpit. But this ministry is an extension of my pulpit. It allows our church and the preaching of the Word of God in our church to reach beyond the church walls and out into the world. And we're seeing fruit come from that and lives being changed. And we want to be a vehicle through radio, internet, and media for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to make this appeal to any of our listeners that are hearing me today. You can help us get God's Word out. Would you consider giving us your most generous year-of-end gift today? Our volunteers are standing by to take your call at 888 or you can make your end-of-the-year donation online at ktt.org. Thanks, Philip. And just think, friends, 
You can make a significant impact in the lives of people in your city and cities across America when you give to Know the Truth today. As Philip said, December is a critical time for us to meet our year-end budget, giving us a clear path into the new year. So, it's important that we hear from you today. You can call in your generous year-end donation at 888-644-8811 or make a secure donation online at ktt.org. And if you prefer to drop us a line and send your check by mail, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. When you give, you'll be one of the first to receive the brand new Know the Truth journal, designed as a thank you for everyone who gives this month. It's ideal for writing notes as you study the Bible with Philip DeCourcy or use it for your personal private devotions. Request the KTT Journal when you make that generous year-end donation today at ktt.org. That's all our time for today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow when Philip continues our series titled Maximum Security. That's Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, and like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap, even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed; it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Call 800-517-3636 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WAVA. That's 800-516-3636 or go to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WAVA. 800-517-3636. As you consider your...